0: Lord, it is uh, good to be here to worship you tonight. And we pray, God, that you would help us orient our hearts towards you, that we would have hearts that are genuinely set upon your glory and upon worshiping you and being satisfied in you and seeing ascribing you the praise that you are due, as we will see in our psalm tonight, Lord. So may we be ascribing to you the glory that's due to your name. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 29 tonight, um, like I said earlier, um, in looking through this, I've titled it, From Glory to Good News. And really, as you read through the psalm, you'll see that there's a very specific and a very clear picture uh, the fact that God is to be worshipped, and he's commanded, he, we are commanded to worship him. And then we see the power of God's voice. And like I said, we think about that in terms, really kind of in three ways. We see, as we will see in verses 3 through 9, the voice of the Lord does certain things. And we think about that in God's voice as he speaks, as he used to speak in the Old Testament, The voice of God as he has spoken through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son, the Word incarnate. And then the voice of God as he speaks currently today now through us in his Word and the power that Scripture has as well. So we think about that um, in those ways. And then lastly at the end, what he does, David does, is he ties together really God who in his mind is exceedingly glorious and powerful and strong, and is presented really in a way that should, like if mankind viewed him like that, only he would, God would to be feared over her, like all things, because God is not presented as this passive, meek, and mild God in this passage, but he does this wonderful thing at the beginning where he ties together, even though this is who God is and his incredible power that has the ability to destroy and judge, which we see in the text. He has a people for himself that he provides safety and peace for. And he, the, the God who is, speaks and can tear all things apart just by his voice becomes this refuge, this safety, this place of peace for his people. And so um, I've titled it From Glory to Good News. So we see in just opening up the psalm here, it's a psalm of David. Verses 1 through 2 is David really commanding, God commanding us to give to God what it is, simply what it is that's due to him. We see the word ascribe three times. Ascribe to the Lord. Your translation may say, O heavenly beings. Um, It may say mighty ones. It may say the sons of the mighty. Um, It says, ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, O mighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. And then lastly, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The, the word ascribe occurs three times there, and it's a command to give to God what he deserves. It's, it's a, it's when, and so when you think of it from the perspective of it being written by David, David as the king is commanding his people as ruler of the nation, to worship God and give Him what He deserves. But when you consider it from the perspective that God is the author of the psalm, it is God commanding for us to give to Him what He deserves, and that really, I think, places an emphasis on the importance of doing it. Because I mean, we can say we can say to one another we would fully agree God is worthy of worship, and we are commanded to give it to Him. Um, but it takes it to a n- totally next level if we say God commands for Him to be worshiped. And we need to view it from that perspective. God is commanding to ascribe to him what it is that he deserves. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, or O men. It doesn't really matter whether or not he's talking to spiritual creatures or mankind. Uh, The command is still the same, and it does apply to us. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. The glory of God is what's emphasized two times here. It is God's glory. It's, it's seeing his glory, and it's giving him the praise, and it's giving him the worship. It's giving him um, the accolade that he deserves for being just who he is. It's not actually, we haven't even gotten into anything of what he does. It's simply because God is God. And he's worthy of worship that the psalmist commands us to give our worship to God. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Um, One of the things that I think is super helpful for us as believers is when we're reading through the Bible and when we're reading other books and to read books and to read through the Bible and notice the way that just God is described and his character. You think of things about his, his divinity, how he is divine. Think of things like his eternality. He's eternal. You think of things like his independence, right? His, or what the theologians used to call his osseity; He's independent of everything. He has no need for anything outside of himself. You think of his immutability that he doesn't change. There's no changing with him. This God is eternal. He's independent. He's unchanging, He is the great I am, who he is. And as you think about those things, the heart is drawn to want to worship him and to ascribe to him the glory that's due to his name. The clearer you see God's majesty and his beauty, the way more inclined we are to give to him what he deserves. When we have this clouded vision of God and he doesn't seem all that great or all that wonderful, it's not his fault, it's really our fault that we don't see him that way. We don't spend enough time meditating upon him and his attributes and his, and his divine essence. But when we do, when you spend time and you meditate upon his divine essence and his attributes and who he is, the heart is drawn to worship him. We, it's it, it's so much easier to ascribe to him the glory who do his name and to worship him in the splendor of holiness when you see him for who he is in his majestic royal court sitting upon his majestic throne. That's one of the reasons why I love like chapters like Ezekiel chapter one that are just wild when they describe the glory of God and you're like and I I read that over and over again and I still my brain. It feels like it's going to explode because it's describing things. And that it's just hard for me to wrap my mind around. And at the end of Ezekiel 1, and it says, And this was the glory, how the glory of God appeared. And in some ways, it's like incomprehensible. But the mind, we're, we're drawn to his unparalleled glory. And when we see his glory, worship ensues. Um, and that's what we're called to do. It's the call and the command um, to confess him and to worship him in his holiness. And it, that also um, informs how we approach him. We approach him not casually. We worship him in splendor and in holiness. We approach God with reverence. We approach God with humility. We approach God with gratitude that we can even approach him. In Hebrews says we to approach the throne of grace. We boldly approach the throne of grace. Part of me goes, I no, I don't. I don't like the word boldly there. It it makes me uncomfortable if I'm to be completely honest. But yet we can because Scripture says that we can. So David is encouraging um, the people. God is encouraging us to worship him and to ascribe to him the glory to his name. And then from verses 3 through 9, it talks about the powerful word of God. And listen, I'm gonna read verses three through nine and listen to the way that his voice, his word is described. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf in Syria like a, wild, like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare, and in his temple all cry glory. There are a few um, points of this psalm that are difficult to translate. So again, in verse 9, it may say, um, instead of he makes the deer give birth that makes the oaks to shake, the point being that David is describing the power of god 's voice, just what he 's able to do merely by speaking i mean he's not even he doesn 't even have to lift a finger we 're not even talking about him um doing you know. Being physically involved, if if you will, I know God is spirit and doesn't have a physical being, but this is meant to describe what it is that God is able to accomplish just by His speech. And it's remarkable. The voice of the Lord is over the water. It just reminds us of really uh, creation, as the Spirit of God hovered over the waters at creation, and God spoke. Things and they came. Things came into existence out of nothing. God, the first mover and creator of all things. One of the things that reminds me of in verses three through nine is that God speaks. God is present, and God is in action. Everything reminds us in these of those things that God is a God who speaks. That God is a God who is present, and that God is a God who takes action. He's not a God that is like far removed and, is, and is, does not see and does not care and is not involved, even though God is transcendent and different and set apart and completely far removed from us in some ways, Scripture describes him also as being a God who is incredibly near, incredibly close, so close that he speaks, and it can impact creation the way that the psalmist says. The God of glory thunders. And that's why many, many um, commentators in reading their their commentary on this psalm actually um, believe that the present what David is describing is the presence of thunder and storms and lightning um, being present as those things have the ability to impact creation. You think of the impact and what happens when lightning strikes the ground that they're seeing that David has seen these these huge storms, these huge thunderstorms full of lightning and power and wind and rain. And he's ascribing all of that stuff, saying this is merely the voice of God at work. You think that God um, has the ability to just, by his own voice, govern the, the most powerful weather phenomenon that we can think of. Right? Any, any, any sort of tropical storm, tsunami. Hurricane, tornado, all of these things are, but nothing, I mean, compared to God. They're just like his voice going forth. Um, and regardless of how much, how incredibly strong we think that they are, they're, they're nothing compared to what it is that God can do. Merely his voice in action. The voice of the Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord, and this is how he, he says it in verse 4, the voice of the Lord is powerful the voice of the lord is full of majesty not just like the voice of god is a little majestic the voice of god is full of majesty everything about god's words everything about him is it's majestic it's incredible and he's trying to communicate that uh, to us the voice of the lord breaks the cedars the cedars of Lebanon these massive trees are able they're just shattered into toothpicks by the voice of God. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like young wild ox. These are mountain ranges that he's talking about. God, just by his voice, can take entire mountain ranges just by speaking, and they would up and move off the face of the planet. Not only does he have the ability to shatter trees, he has the ability just by his speech to make the largest mountain or mountain ranges just up and leave the face of the earth if he so desired, to make them skip like a young calf or like a young ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. Can you imagine an entire forest, an entire wilderness shaking just by God's speech? He just speaks it and it happens. The whole earth is held together by his divine power. Hebrews 1 tells us. And God, by his own speech, is, has the ability to make entire forests shake. He shakes the wilderness. He shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth or makes the oaks to shake, and strips the forest bare, and in his temple all cry glory. And at the end of verse 9, this is really like the proper response. When you, when you get this, when you see the way that David is describing the, that God is to be worshipped and the way that he presents just the power of his voice, everybody in his temple has one word in response. Glory. Absolute, unfettered, unrestrained, unpolluted, untainted Glory. Is, is his. Everything that he does is glorious. Everything about him is glorious. And then, he, you know, I mean, he, he draws our eyes to the immensity and to the glory of God. And then he says this in verse 10 and 11. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. Not only is God's voice incredibly powerful and strong but God sits enthroned meaning in a position of judge power over the flood judgment you think about what happened in the flood during Noah's day the flood was not some random act some extreme natural weather phenomenon. I mean, scientists are trying to understand and explain what it is, Craig, give me an amen here, what it is that they are finding regarding the power of a worldwide catastrophic flood. And the one who sits above it all, the one who governed it, the one who did it, this God, this God of glory, He's and his and it's like he sits above it all, as if he's just it's all all of this is just beneath him, and he and yet he is involved, present and active in creation. The Lord sits enthroned as King forever. He's not a moment. God's God's rule and kingship is not temporary. There's no term limit to it. God's kingdom, his kingdom, his kingship, his dominion is forever. It's eternal. He has always ruled over judgment, over the earth. He will always rule over the earth, over all things. And then, verse 11. And this is the good news. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. To think that this God, completely powerful, completely independent, needs nothing outside of himself, full of glory, full of power, full of majesty, has a people for himself. May the Lord give strength to his people. Imagine the type of strength that God can provide for his people when his strength and power has just been described in such divine ways. Oftentimes I think we we are skeptical as to what it is that God is able to do. We're skeptical as to whether or not God can really do certain things. And our prayer life really reflects that you think about the way that God's power is described in this psalm, and then the psalmist says, give your strength to your people. Your strength. Give that to your people. And may the Lord bless his people with peace. This God that has been described as having this incredible power is also a God that knows what peace is and provides peace for his people. That's why the psalm ends with good news. In short, this great God of glory and unparalleled power has a people for himself that he strengthens and provides peace for. And what type of peace and strength do we think that it is when his power has just been described in such incredible ways? His peace is That's why his peace can transcend all understanding, right? Philippians tells us. That the peace of God can transcend all understanding. You mean... The peace of God can really transcend any situation in life. Yes, it can, because God has no limit as to what it is that He can provide and the type of peace that He can provide. I I have no other way of explaining. When I read through the history of the church and I read the stories of our brothers and sisters in Christ and, and some of the incredibly difficult and painful things that they endured as they stood upon the Word of God and would not recant of the lordship of Jesus Christ how were they able to endure such things not only endure but pray for salvation for those who are persecuting them and singing hymns and songs as their bodies are being engulfed in flames how do you do that other than by having the peace of God that transcends all understanding filling your heart and gripping you in that moment which he can do and he does and we, and, and, and we shouldn't question that because the way that his voice is described with such incredible power and the way that he is described with such incredible majesty, the kingship, the lordship of God over all things is made abundantly clear. And because of that, his people have a tremendous well and source of peace and strength. To endure, do not grow weary. Continue to pursue him and his kingdom first, forever. And as God's voice is described like this in the Old Testament, you think of how it applied to the Lord Jesus Christ. By his mere voice, he was able to calm the sea. Instantaneous. Poof, complete peace. I was able to heal the physically ill, the lame, the lepers. I was able to speak, Lazarus, you come out of that tomb, and Lazarus, he rose and came out of the tomb. The guy was dead. The voice of the Son of God speaks and it happens. And now that voice has been written down and preserved for us so that every time you open your Bible and you read it, you're hearing the voice of God. I was praying this week, God, I don't want to just talk about, I don't want to just speak about what you speak and what it is that you have spoken. I want us to actually as we, if this if the if this is the word of God and this is his speech and we open his word and we hear what his voice can accomplish i want the voice of God as we open up his bible to accomplish those things in our lives and i absolutely believe that they can when you open wh- do you mean to tell me, Nick, that when I open my Bible in my worst moments of fear and doubt and worry that if I open my Bible and read it those things can go away? Yes, that is what I am telling you. That is what God that is the reason why we have psalms like this that emphasize the, the, the present reality of the power of God, as it is working by the Spirit of God in the life of His people, He actually provides the strength and the peace that He knows that we need in that moment of time. And so, I'm praying that we would view His Word as it is that He speaks it. It is the Word. Is it is a. It's living, it is sharper than to any two edged sword. And he speaks to his people. He speaks words of peace. He speaks words of comfort. He speaks words of hope. He speaks words of correction and rebuke, like we read in 2 Timothy 3. But it's so that we may be competent, equipped for every good work. When God speaks, it is because he is shaping us into the people he wants us to be for his glory and for some earthly good while we're still here. Let's pray. Lord, I do do thank you for your word. I do confess that there are times when I open up your word and I approach it way too casually. My mind is on other things. Forgive me for those moments. Forgive me for having a heart that is that is wayward, that doubts. I thank you for psalms like this that remind us of the power of your word that proceeds from your infinite power from who you are. May we Lord, may we treat our Bibles That's the word of God with, as the treasure that it is. And we would come to you and expect that you would extend your hand and provide for us for what it is that we need throughout every season of life. You know our frame and you remember that we are dust and you've given us your word to help us, Lord, so we thank you for it. We respond to you now, Father, in worship, by way of song. May our hearts be yours. May our voices be yours. May our lives be yours as we are people to be devoted to the word. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand as we sing together?